0: Welcome to the podcast of Okotoks Calvary Fellowship. Please enjoy as Pastor John opens up the word. Well, turn with me in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. As so we're moving our way through the book of 1 John And it begins with a familiar verse to many of us. So let's begin. We're just going to do the first three verses. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Now that's just how far we're going to get this morning. Three remarkable verses. Now when we closed last week, John had brought up this idea of being born of God. And so just take a look back uh, to the end of 1 John chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. It says, and now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. So he introduces this thought of being born of him. And now in chapter 3, he just fast-forwards and jumps right into an explanation. And there are three questions that just seem to pop right into our minds. What does it mean to be born of him? What does this say about us? And what does this say about God? And the first thing that John wants to impress upon our hearts is that God loves us. And John wants us to behold what manner of love. Do you know what it means to behold something? It means to look at it, to study it, to observe it carefully. And John wants us to carefully look at the love of God, to really study it. And you know what? I am sure that every one of us this morning would benefit from a good, intense look at the love of God that was bestowed upon us. So let's look at that word, bestowed. He says, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. So the first thing we're going to see in that is the measure of God's love. And when we're talking about something being bestowed on somebody, we're talking about an abundant giving. If I were to fill a cup up with just an inch of water and give it to you, you'd hardly say that I had bestowed water upon you, right? Right? No. When you say bestowed, it's like a big word, isn't it? It's a big giving. In fact, when you look at the word in the original Greek, Dedoken, it can be better or more accurately, accurately translated as lavished upon us. God didn't trickle his love upon us. He poured it out liberally. Secondly we see the manner of God's giving of love. And when we talk about something somebody bestowing something it's a very one-sided giving, right? It's giving that isn't really deserved. It's given purely out of generosity. It's given out of love. It's given out of grace. And that's how God's giving is to us. It's very one-sided. And it's this tremendous love that John is telling us to look at, to study. You know, you can really assess a lot about somebody's Christian life just from looking at their understanding of the love of God. But God's love can sometimes become a very difficult thing for us. But even before the time when we decided to follow Christ, we've heard that message constantly. God loves you. Jesus loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I mean, think about it. What is the very first song you learned in church? Jesus loves me. You've probably heard it a thousand times or more. Or for those of us that are older, we could go into a larger number. But herein lies the problem. And there is a big problem with all of that. What happens when you hear something over and over and over and over again? You become deaf to it. Blah, 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 love. Blah, 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 blah. Right? Friends, when someone... Let me pull back up for a second. And it's not really like we think that the love of God is not a big thing. Because it is. We know it is. But we've heard it so many times that we just kind of come become inoculated or desensitized to it, right? Oh, he's talking on love again. Are you serious? Like, pick a new topic, dude. But friends, when someone truly walks through their life with the understanding that God loves them, it changes them forever. Yet there are some Christians who just don't catch it. What that love of God is about. And I honestly think that the reason is clear as to why not. And I think one of the greatest things that keeps Christians from realizing and walking in the love of God is pride. Now, please understand, I'm not talking about the kind of pride that you your chest puffs up and you say, well, I'm so great. And everyone thinks that you should think that I'm so wonderful. It's not that kind of pride. It's actually a very subtle kind of pride, but it is pride nonetheless. It's the kind of pride that says, I am not going to receive God's love until I consider that I'm worthy of it. When I can consider myself lovable by God, then I'm going to receive it. You see, that's a very subtle way of saying in our minds, I'm not going to receive God's love until I feel like I've earned it. I won't receive it as a free gift, which is what it is. And then I just have to say, friends, if that's the attitude you have, you're not going to receive much of the love of God then. Your pride is going to keep you from really receiving and walking in that love of God. The great place for us to be as Christians is to realize our complete unworthiness. And the second thing that keeps many people from receiving God's love is unbelief. They simply find it difficult to believe. Maybe they've had some pain or some tragedy in their own life maybe there's been pain or tragedy in the life of somebody close to them and they say i don't know i can really believe that god loves i mean if god really loved me how could he allow this to happen to me or why allow this to happen to them but i think that there's a third reason that many that keep many Christians from really living and walking in the love of God. And this is the one that's the most mystifying to me. I really can't put my finger on it. And it's time. It's just time. I don't know if I can really explain it adequately, but I think that sometimes it just takes time for a person to come to a fuller understanding of the love of God. It takes time for God to break down those little things in our heart that are sort of pushing Him away from us. Have you ever been in a relationship like that? Where somebody really loves you, but somehow, for some reason, you're pushing them away. And you love them, but nonetheless, you want to keep a distance. You don't want to give yourself to them. And many of you know what that's like, don't you? And oftentimes that's how we are until God comes and when he breaks down our defenses and we finally surrender to him and let him love us. What a change it is. And then we're in the place, John says, we should be here. Notice he goes on to say that we should be called the children of God. Friends, if you understand what's being said here, this should absolutely blow your mind. It should just startle you that God calls us His children. And that really shows us something about his love for us. But I want, you know, I want you to think of it like this. God could have looked at our lost humanity with pity instead of love. He could have. Oh, I feel so sorry for those guys. I mean, look at them. They're so lost. Their lives are messed up. They're destined for hell. That's such a terrible place. I feel sorry for them. I've got to do something to save them. And then he could have sent his son to save us out of that motivation of pity. And that would have been enough. And we would have been grateful for that salvation. But God did so much more than that. I mean, think of it this way. Imagine you're driving somewhere and you pass this homeless beggar. In fact, you've driven by this beggar every day for many weeks and months. He's got this sign out: we'll work for food or feed my kids or whatever else they put on these signs. He's filthy. He smells horrible. Has those crazy looking eyes that are kind of scaring and creeping you out. But you decide that you want to help this guy. You have pity on him. Now, instead of pulling out your wallet and shooting him a few bucks, you decide to take him in your car and take him home with you. And then you offer him the guest room or the guest house if you have one. And not only do you clean him up and feed him and clothe him, you give him a whole closet full of clothes. You say, live here in our guest home. You don't give them money for food. You tell them, you can eat at my table every night. And I tell you, you've gone far, far beyond what anybody would expect, right? You're a very, very giving person to do all those things. You had a lot of pity on that man to help him so dramatically. But friends, even if you could do all of what I've just described... It's a completely different thing to say, I'm going to adopt you as my son. I'm going to make you a member of my family. And my friends, that's exactly what God did for us. He didn't just save us from hell, He didn't just buy us out of the slavery of our sin. But on top of all that, it's like the pure extra, like the cherry on top. He said, I'm going to make you my child. I'm going to invite you into my family and you're going to become my son or my daughter. And he didn't have to do it. The only reason why he does it is because he loves you. And that's how much he loves you. It's not just pity. It's not just God feeling sorry for us. And that's why John can say, behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. But there's one last thing I want to touch on before we move move on. Have you ever wondered Why God allowed Adam to do what he did in the garden? God, why did you ever let him mess up everything so bad? I mean, it was perfect back then, wasn't it? Why couldn't we just go back to the garden? That's where we should be, right? Can I just say that that's not where God wants you to be? God's goal has never been to restore us back to the innocence of the garden. And while, yes, things were great back in the garden, it was perfect, it was amazing. But as great as it was for Adam, he was never adopted into the family of God. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that Adam and Eve were sons and daughters of God. Adam didn't have that father-son relationship God wanted for us to have with him. And that's something that God saved for those whom he has redeemed. God wasn't content to just bring us back to where Adam was. And if you're writing down something from the message, write out this line. In Jesus, we gain more than Adam ever lost. Do you hear that? In Jesus, we gain more than Adam ever lost. God needed to let us fall. So he could redeem us, then buy us back at a tremendous cost to himself. Buy us back and make us his children and join heirs with his son, Jesus. Isn't that amazing? There should be an amen in there. That's tremendous love. Now, let me ask you a simple question. Is it true that God loves everyone? Of course it is true. Don't look puzzled at me. Of course it's true. John 3.16 tells us exactly that. For God so loves the world. Last time I checked, everyone was in the world. Even the most lost and distant sinner, God loves that person. Now, second question is, but does that mean that everyone then is a child of God? In the sense that John means it here in 1 John chapter 3, not at all. Keep your finger in 1 John 3, and I want you to turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 12. John chapter 1, verse 12. This is what it says. It says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become. Children of God to those who believe in his name. So not everyone is a child of God. When somebody goes, says, well, we're all God's children. No, that's not right. They can say God loves everyone. That's true, but not all of us are God's children. And there is a difference because only those who have received him and who have believed on his name, those are the children of God in the sense that John means it right here. Now, understand, everyone has the right to become a child of God. God isn't pushing anyone away saying, no, you can't be one of my kids. So everyone has the right if they will receive him and believe on his name. And now John goes on here in verse 1. It says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore, oh, I love therefore, to sum it up, the world does not know us. Because it did not know Him. And John makes a clear distinction here between the world and the children of God. Because you are children of God. Because you have believed on His name. Because you have received Him. And because of this, the world does not know you. So as children of God, we're in the same family and we should love one another. And families have a uniqueness about them, right? I mean, you have different traditions. You have different customs, different cultural backgrounds, different perspectives, different values, right? Now, this brings up something significant here. All of us are sons of daughter and aunt, uh, sons of of Adam and daughters of Eve. We're all born into the family of Adam by birth. But those who believe and receive become the children of God. That's a new family. And so now you have two families and they don't always see eye to eye, do they? So as children of God, we follow what is taught here in God's Word. We follow a biblical Christian world view. We identify ourselves with what the Bible teaches. And that is what following Jesus is all about. And because we do that, it will and it should cause some friction with the world. And there will be times when the world does not know us. Look, if you're getting along just fine with everybody in the world. Then I want to ask you a question here. How distinctive of a Christian life are you living? How different are you? There should be some friction. And please understand I'm not, sh- I'm not saying it should be every day, in every situation. Because if that's the case, then you're probably being obnoxious. But there should be some kind of friction because you're of a different family. But I want you to notice the last point here in verse 1, it says, therefore the world does not know us. Why? Because it did not know Him. You see, if we're following Jesus, if we're following in his footsteps, we should expect at least at times to be treated as he was treated. And friends, the world did not welcome Jesus with open arms, did it? They crucified him. So if we are never finding ourselves in the face of opposition, then that should be a scary thing to us it probably means that we're just going along with the flow of our culture. So far, God has told us who we are and how much He loves us. But now in verse 2, He's going to talk to us about our destiny, what awaits us. It says, beloved, now we are the children of God. John states that pretty dogmatically, doesn't it? We are. Not, we might we maybe i think so or or i hope so he's confident that we are children of god and i want you to know something this morning that you can be confident in your status as a child of god you really can you don't have to leave here wondering or hoping or wishing it were so in fact i would say that if you are a child of god you already know it The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 16, that the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. In other words, if you are a true child of God, the Holy Spirit tells you that you are. He gives you that assurance. And if you don't have that assurance this morning, you shouldn't leave here without it. Let's continue in verse 2 it says and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be but we know that when he is revealed we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. Well that's a question mark. (laughs) What are we going to be? What will we be like in glory? And we don't really know do we? Especially in the kind of detail that we'd like to know. But we're not left completely in the dark about our future state. Because look what it says in verse 2. It tells us that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. Now I'm going to ask you a straight up question here. Does that sound pretty good to you? does to me you see the Bible speaks of God's great plan for our lives are you ready people want to know this what's God's plan for my life right smile nod are you awake okay God's great plan is to make you comfortable in every circumstance no that's not God's great plan for your life okay let me try again God's great plan for your life is to bring you happiness in every relationship. No, that's not God's great plan for your life. Okay? God's great plan for your life is to make sure you've always got plenty of money. No, that's not God's great plan for your life. Okay? Do you really want to know what God's great plan for your life is? Turn to Romans 8, 29. I'm going to read it to you. It says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. That's God's great plan for your life. To make you, to make me like Jesus. His ultimate goal is to make us like Jesus. And here John is speaking of the fulfillment of that purpose. It's fulfilled. Now we see him. We're like him. We're completely transformed into his image. Now we are truly like Jesus. Now, I want to point something out here. This does not mean that when we get to heaven, we cease to be ourselves. This isn't like the teaching of nirvana from Eastern religions. You know, a drop of water falls from the sky into this great big ocean and it's instantly absorbed and you've somehow just become part of this great deity. No, that's not the idea of heaven at all. We're going to be individuals. We're going to be who we are. We're still going to have our names. We're still going to have our characters. We're still going to have our personalities. But our character and our nature will be perfected into the image of Jesus. We're not going to be merely clones of Jesus in heaven. And it's just that our own personality and and character will be perfected in Him. Now, how does that grab you? Sounds terrible. I won't make the same mistakes that I make constantly here. Look, do you long to be like Jesus? You can. But let me tell you, God will never force a person to be like Jesus if they don't want to be. If you don't want to be like Jesus, God is not going to force you or make you. And God has prepared a place for people who don't want to be like Jesus. And my friends, it's called hell. And that's a very sobering truth, isn't it? You see, the truth is that God gives man what he really wants. And if you want to be like Jesus, it'll show forth in your life now and it will be fulfilled in eternity. And if you don't want to be like Jesus, it'll show forth in your life now and it will be fulfilled in eternity. And I know some of you may be thinking, I'm struggling. I'm not becoming more... And more like Jesus now. Sometimes my behavior doesn't look anything like him. Let me ask you a question Do you desire to be more like Jesus? Are you asking God to make you more like Jesus? I'm here to tell you right now that that is going to be fulfilled. It's going to happen. It will be fulfilled, but it's not going to be buf- fulfilled now. Verse 2 says, unequivocally, we shall be like Him. And as I look out at you this morning, I know many of you well. Well, And many of you are more like Jesus now than you were two or three years ago. Some of you are more like Jesus than you were even six months ago. <laughs> You're growing into the image of God, but I've got news for you. You're not there yet. You and I have a long ways to go. But when we see him, we will be like him. Why? because we will see him as he is. You know, the older I get, the more I long for heaven. The more friends and loved ones that graduate to their heavenly home makes me long for heaven all the more. Right? I can't wait to get there. To see all those saints that have already arrived, I can't wait to have conversations with Peter, Paul, David, John. can't wait to see the place that He's prepared for me. can't wait to see the streets paved with gold. I can't wait to worship around His throne. And all of that is going to be fantastic. But let me tell you something. None of those things I just mentioned make heaven heaven. My friends, what makes heaven heaven is seeing Jesus Christ face to face when we see Him as He is. Paul spoke about our present walk in 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve. He said, For now we see in a mirror dimly but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. In other words, when I look in a mirror now, I don't really see Jesus. I see me. But when I see Jesus face to face, I'm going to be like Him. And even though I don't know what that's going to look like I do know it won't get any better than that amen let's conclude with a look at verse 3 John says and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure what John's saying is right to the point here when we have this hope set before us of seeing Jesus just as he is, it has a purifying effect on our lives because we live in the serious, sober consideration that we're going to stand before Jesus and we're going to see him just as he is. Friends, that abso- absolutely must cause us to live more purely. It just has to make us more concerned about how we conduct ourselves. If you knew that Jesus was going to return next Friday at 2 p.m. sharp, you would live your life a little differently than you do right now, wouldn't you? Yes? Of course you would. You would want to make sure that you were prepared for His return. And that's what John says when we have that hope. It has a purifying effect in our lives. I want you to notice something in verse 3. He says, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself. So what's our hope in? Is our hope in heaven? No, not really. Is our hope in being glorified? No, not really. Is our hope in what God can do in our lives right now? No. Not really. Our hope is in Him. So what's your hope in this morning? Maybe your hope is in a relationship. Lord, if you just... Fix that relationship. Or Lord, if you just put this relationship together or if you put a relationship together for me, then I have hope that everything's just going to work out. Maybe your hope is in a career. Lord, if I just put this, you know, if you put this career together for me, you know, if if I just get that right job or you get me that plum promotion, that would be it. Then I'd have hope. Maybe your hope is in your finances. Lord, if I just had this much money in my bank account, if I felt more financially stable or comfortable, then I'd have hope. Maybe it's success or fame or worse yet, maybe your hope is in yourself. Well, That's pretty depressing, isn't it? My friends, what does John say? This hope is in him. Our hope isn't set in heaven or on anything on the earth. Our hope is in him. I want to conclude this morning with one last thought. You see here at the end of verse 2, John draws a connection here. He says, when we see him, we shall be like him because we'll see him as he is So John makes the connection between seeing Jesus and being like Jesus And I sa- suggest you to this morning that to the degree that you see Jesus as he is It's to that same degree how much you are like you see when we forget who Jesus is when we really don't know who Jesus is when we stray after the cultural Jesus or the Jesus of the cult or so the Jesus of human opinion or the Jesus of anything else friends you're not seeing him as he is. But if you'll see him as he is, then God will transform you and make you like him You know, it's kind of funny to think But the Sun that we see in our sky Is so much bigger than the moon You could fit 64.3 million moons into the Sun That's a lot of moons Yet, if the moon is in the wrong place, it can totally block us from seeing the sun altogether. Funny how something so little can get in the way of us seeing something so big. Especially if it's in the wrong place. So what's hindering you from seeing Jesus the way that you should this morning? What things are you allowing to eclipse your view of seeing him as he is? Whatever it is that is impeding your view, it needs to go. It's got to go. And let's pray right now that the Lord would remove that obstacle. Father, we all struggle with this. We all have our challenges. We all uh, recognize that we have our blind spots, things that keep us from, from seeing you for who you are. And Lord, maybe we're tied to too many things in this world, whether it be material things, whether it be emotional things, whether it be just distractions that when they're misplaced, They block us from seeing you. And so, Lord, whatever it is that hinders us from seeing you as you are, I pray right now that you would just break that down. You'd reveal it to us, and Lord, that we would remove it. Or you would help us to remove it so we can see you face to face. Lord, we want to be like you. Lord, I thank you so much for these dear people. And I just pray you will minister to their hearts now. In Jesus' name, amen.